senior pastor it's great to see you today and oh to be a kid again you know at Christmas well I want to be a kid all the time but at Christmas especially right there's no no way to do Christmas quite like it is when you're a kid and uh, man the theology of some of those kids especially the pastor's kid up on the screen that's very interesting so well it's great to see you today if you have your Bibles you will turn me to Matthew's gospel chapter 1 Matthew chapter 1 and if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen here in just a minute when we get to that portion. Uh, but um, today we're, we're, we're in this series, and actually we're concluding it this weekend, called Tis the Season. And we're talking about family today, especially since we've got the kids. And I love seeing Christmas through the eyes of children. And I know there's a lot of grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and family that's here and friends. And um, so I want to just kind of talk about family. And, and what's interesting to me is that the story of Christmas begins with family. It all begins, and I'm not talking about Mary and Joseph. I'm talking the genealogy of Jesus. See, most of the time when we get to Matthew chapter 1, we skip the first part of the story, which is the genealogy. Uh, sometimes that's because there's names that we can't pronounce, and you're going to find out today because I grew up in Arkansas that I have a hard time with some of these Hebrew names as well. Um, but some of it is, is we just kind of get to the end. But you can never have an end of the story unless you have a beginning. And the end of the story doesn't really make sense unless you look at the beginning of the story. And so next weekend, I know you'll be back for Christmas Eve. We'll have a Christmas Eve service together. And we'll talk more about the end of the story. But today, I want to end our series on Tis the Season with the beginning of the story. Matthew chapter 1. I want to read these first 16 verses that typically are not read this time of the year and connect it to the Christmas story because that's the way the writer, Matthew, writes this. Look at it in verse number 1. And this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2. And Abraham the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abinadab, Abinadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Rahab was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon uh, was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah. And Abijah was the father of Asa, and Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jer This is where it starts to fall apart on me, people. All right, here we go. Jero Jerome. Jerome. And <laughs> I can't even get this right. The father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amnon, Amnon the father of Joash, Joash the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, there was Jeconiah, who was the father of, I'm not even going to try that one, uh, who was the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of 
Abihud, Abihud, I don't know, hooked on phonics work for me, right? The father of the father of Azar, Azar the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliad, uh, Eliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matin, Matin the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. Now the significance of the lineage and the reason why Matthew, who was a, an accountant by trade, would have written this out this way and it's interesting to me that, it, that the New Testament begins this way. Because at the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, it's, and the, that intertestamental period is 400 years. Theologians refer to them as the 400 silent years. During the end of the Old Testament that you hold the Bible in your hand and the beginning of the New Testament, God does not speak anything that's written down. There is, God does not speak there's no record of him speaking or, quite frankly, doing anything of any major movement in the nation of Israel. And the silence is broken with those first 16 verses. So there's an importance that's there. Again, it leads us to the birth of Jesus. We know that. But it's important that the author, it's important that if we do believe that Scripture is infallible, which means it doesn't fail, it's inerrant, which means it contains no errors, it's not self-refuting, and that it's inspired, which means that the writers, Matthew, wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the whole canon, the whole con table of contents and how the Bible's put together is inspired by God? Then there's a reason. So what is that? Well, first of all, it shows that Jesus is a royal descendant of the house of David, which is very important. Because there are that, along with other messianic prophecies, prophecies of who the Messiah would be in the Old Testament, that Jesus fulfills. I won't read these, but I just want to kind of cite a couple of them. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 says, He'll be a shoot of Jesse, an offspring of Jesse, which was the father of David. Genesis chapter 17, verse 9 says, He'll be the offspring of Abraham. Genesis chapter 49, verse 10 says that the Messiah will come from Judah. And Jeremiah 23, 5 says that he will be a descendant of David. So it validates that Jesus Christ comes from the right lineage. But there's also something else that's very in interesting, and I don't have time to unpack all of this. It, it, it could take a year to go through or more to unpack, but there's some interesting characters in this genealogy. And what I want you to see is I want you not to see the function and the good. I want you to see the dysfunction. You see, because here's what's important to remember in the whole story of Jesus is that, yes, he's the son of God. Yes, he was born of a virgin. Yes, he lives a sinless life, and he died on the cross for our sins. But the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That although Jesus was sinless, tempted and tried in every way, yet you, as you and I are, yet without sin, he still faced sin. He had to deal with this mortal, fallen flesh. And the Bible says that he, he took on the corruptibility he didn't become corruptible, but he housed himself in this flawed, failed, corruptible humanity. That's what I love when, I, when we take of communion and we take of the, the, the bread and the cup. The bread symbolizes the body of Christ, which is broken for us. We know that. And every time that we take of it, we do it in remembrance of him. But what are we remembering? We're remembering that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the third person in the Trinity, came and left the glories of heaven and came to this earth and made of himself no reputation and he who knew no sin clothed himself in this sinful nature, yet without sin, the humanity of Christ. It, it, it's, that's what 
that's where he connects with us. That's the reason why Hebrews says that we have a great high priest that's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That every time that we cry out to him, he understands us. Why? Because he's walked this life. He's lived this life. He's been housed in the confinement of this thing called flesh and humanity. And when you look at the lineage, you see not the good side of the, of, of, of the family tree of Jesus, but you see a lot of dysfunction. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? You know what I'm talking about? There is a lot of dysfunction. Abraham, yes, he's a father of the nation of Israel, but he's also a liar. This is what the Bible says. He had a child, Ishmael, out of wedlock. Jacob was touched by God, but he was also known as a conniver and a cheat, and he stole the birthright from his brother. Judah was not the firstborn, but the fourthborn. His, he fathered twins with Tamar, his daughter-in-law, who posed as a cult prostitute in order to trick him into impregnating her, and her husband's sons were, were uh, her husbands, were, which was his sons, were dying. That's pretty jacked up. You need me to read that again? Rahab, the mother of Boaz, is a prostitute from Jericho. That's what the Bible tells us. But she protected two spies that came into Jericho, and so when Jericho fell, they kept her family safe, and she's King David's great-grandmother. What did your great-grandmother do? Well, King David. That's what the Bible says. I didn't write it. Second, he's the second king of Israel, but he murders Uriah and takes Bathsheba to, co- to become his wife to cover up uh, his own adultery, covering up sin with more sin. Yet the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. King Solomon, yes, he's the wisest man that ever lived, but the Bible also records he's a polygamist who builds a temple using oppressive measures. King Rehoboam rejected God's word and his ways and was the most oppressive king Israel ever had in its history, full of conceit and arrogance. King Ahaz, or excuse me, King Asa, had religious zeal, the Bible says, but he's also soft on sin and he compromised in his leadership. King Jeroboam married the daughter of, of Abnon and led Israel into pagan practices. King Uzziah became the king at 16, but he walked away from relationship with God and he died of leprosy. King Ahaz burned his son as an offering encouraging corrupted worship. You want to talk about some dysfunction? Those are just some of the names that are listed in the genealogy of Jesus. So what does that mean? Why is that there? Here's, here, here's, the, here's the, the, the picture that I think that Matthew, one of the perspectives that he's giving as he gives us this, is it shows the imperfections of the, the lineage, the family tree of Jesus, thus speaking to the humanity of what, she, of, what, of what he was and who he was. So that no one could ever say, Jesus, you don't understand, or Jesus, you don't get this. Isaiah will say that Jesus would be the cornerstone that the builders, the nation of Israel, would reject. See, Jesus would be looked at as the black sheep by the religious elite, the religious leaders of his day. Even Orthodox Jews today refer to him as a rabbi in his existence, but they don't call him Messiah because they don't accept him to be such. He's just another kind of blemish on their record. But what's interesting is that through all of this tapestry of this life, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way through Rahab and and Boaz, and all the way down to David, and then all the way through Solomon, and all the way through through the kings and the judges, we see that there is this redemptive strand that goes through that, through Jesus. 
that, that the humanity does not keep us away from God, but rather it brings us closer to God. Many times when we come to church and we come to Christ and we come to God, we think that our humanity is going to drive us away, that God's not going to understand and that God's not going to know. And, and you don't know what my parents did and you don't know what I've done and you don't know the thoughts that I've had and you don't understand my humanity. And I just want you to understand, he gets it. It's all right there. Matter of fact, all of his, all of his family trees completely listed and the Bible, the Old Testament, is filled with all the examples of what they did wrong. Some of the things that they did right. You and I aren't looking at that every week the way we would of Jesus. And so family can be funky, man. And, 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 and family has dysfunction. And, and, and that's okay. God works through that. So as we kind of come into this season of the year and this time of the year and, and this Christmas week as we're entering into in this new year, we're going to be around a lot of family. We're going to be around crazy Uncle Joe and, 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 and Aunt Sally that we don't really want to get cornered by because she's just going to talk on and on and on. You got one of those? And, and we, we don't... No, you don't. Everybody's perfect in your family. You don't want to say anything because she's here. I get it. Okay, so, so we've got all of that going on. And so there are times, what I'm trying to say is, is that family's funky. Even Jesus' family was funky. How do you deal with the funkiness? What does it do for you? Well, and that's a biblical term, isn't it? Your past may color your present, but it doesn't determine it. These are observations that we get from this passage. Your past may color your present, but it doesn't determine it. The two things that determine your present is you and God. It's you and the choices that you make and, and God and what he wants to do in your life and what you allow him to do. You see, just because Jesus was born from a long line of sinners and jacked up people didn't mean that he was one. But it does mean that he understands and that he gets it. Second thing is that your past does not determine God's plan for your life. That wherever you come from doesn't have to determine where you are going that your past does not determine God's plan. No, the Bible says that God's plan is established. The question is, will you just simply follow it? And you can have all these excuses like, God, you don't understand where I come from, and you don't understand this, and Aaron, you don't get this and get that. I, I understand that, but I'm telling you, when you read the genealogy of Jesus, it's pretty much all there. He does. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6 says this, Praise be to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms and with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us, you, in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's how he views you. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and with his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which has freely given us the one Jesus he loves. God's word says that he has a future and a hope for you that's good. And that's how he sees you. And then exactly, you know, when, when you look at the life of Christ, that's exactly what you see. It's that the past, the family tree, doesn't determine where you're going, and it doesn't determine the plan of God. I had a conversation this week, and, and, and the person made a statement that I thought was very profound. He said this. He said, Aaron, where you've arrived in life, you would have arrived there, but you get there a different route because of your upbringing. The basis of your upbringing colors how the journey that takes you here, but the, but, but the eventual, eventual gifts and the, and the abilities and the callings that God has on your life, God will get you where he wants you to go. If you'll just trust in him, if you'll just live like palms up, he'll get you where you want to go. It's just, it just kind of comes from a different starting point. 
And had you been born into a different family that was different than where you came from or a different part of the country, it would be colored a little bit differently. But eventually he would get you because his ways, he's predestined your ways. He has led your ways as long as you're willing to follow him. Now, that's the operative word in the phrase. As long as you're willing to follow him, that's exactly what he'll do. So your past doesn't determine God's plan. The only thing that determines God's plan in your life is your willingness to follow it. And family doesn't determine your future. Family doesn't determine your future. I've talked to people before that just go, man, you don't understand where I come from. And I just go, no, that doesn't need to be an excuse. It doesn't matter if you come from the wrong side of the tracks or the right side of the tracks. It doesn't matter if you come from down and out or up and over. It doesn't matter where you come from. Uh, Your family doesn't determine what God has for you. You and the Lord determine that. So how do you deal with, with funky family? Let me give you just a couple of practical things as we kind of wrap up today. First of all, no family's perfect, not even in the Bible. If Jesus' family tree and Jesus' family isn't perfect, um, guess what? Your, pro- your family probably isn't either, and that's okay. Now, there's times where I have thought in life, um, What if everybody in my family were the way I thought it should be? You know, what if everybody was, what what would, you know, because I I grew up in a household that was a Christian household and a good household, but I have a brother that really, it's taken him a long time to just kind of on board on some things in life. And he's getting there at 43, he's getting there, but it's taken a long time. There were quite a few holiday meals that erupted in almost a fist-to-cuff kind of a confrontation. I'll never forget, I was at a family, it was Christmas, one, Thanksgiving one year, and my dad had asked me to move some stuff, and, and, uh, and it was some, there were, my dad had, had purchased these logs that he was doing for fencing for this property that he had bought, and so it was back on the back part of the property, and so... I had put on some jeans and a work shirt and, and gloves, and I went out because my brother was supposed to help me, but he didn't get up out of bed to do anything, and it was about 11 o'clock, that, and so half my day was spent, and so I'm out there, and I'm a little bit kind of hacked off, and I'm going, and I'm picking these logs up, and my dad wanted them, and I figured out how I could not use the tractor, but how I could just manually pick them up and, and move them in a particular way, and, and the way the, the, the ground sloped, I could roll them, and it would get where I wanted it to go. It'd be much easier if my brother would have been there. It'd been about half the time, but he wasn't there. He comes out, smoking a cigarette, you know, and, and kind of hollering at me and barking at me, just had woken up, and I'm put out, and I'm halfway done, and he starts telling me how I'm doing it wrong. I need to go get the tractor and the front end loader and do da 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 I just kept doing what I was doing. And he gets closer and continues to do that. And at one point, he looked at me, and I just said, listen, if you don't back up, I promise you, I'm going to throw you down this hill. And he's like, whoa, 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 Mr. Preacher Man, what's going on? And kind of, don't you love that when they throw the Christianity thing in your face? Like, yeah, I, I believe in sanctification is instantaneous and progressive, and I'm working on mine right now. <laughs> he went back in the house. I finished it up, and something was wrong with me, right? That's kind of how he couched it with my mom, and, of course, my mom's trying to be the peacemaker. And I told Tammy, I said, I just wish we could have a holiday where there's no fighting. What would it be like 
if things were normal. There's no such thing as normal. It's just family. And you know what probably irritates me more than anything is that I don't have the ability to control those things, especially with my type A personality. So what's God trying to teach me? What's he trying to do in me? No family's perfect. Second thing is that you can't change your family. Jesus couldn't change his. You can't change yours. I can't change mine. And Jesus didn't try, nor was he even ashamed. Again, his family tree is on public display, and all of their actions, good, bad, and indifferent, we talk about every single weekend in Christian churches all around this world. Quite frankly, even in the synagogues, because we're talking about the Old Testament. No need to be ashamed. No need to be embarrassed. No need to posture yourself or puff yourself up or power yourself up, regardless where you come from. Family's just family. And there's a reason why God had you born into that family. Both of my daughters are adopted, and we have this conversation that we got to choose you. We didn't just get stuck with you. They kind of like that, especially my youngest. And uh, as we have this conversation, it's one of those things that there are questions. And I learned in seminary, one of the greatest answers to theological questions that you can't answer is don't try to make up an answer. Just go, I don't know. We don't know. Why did this happen? I don't know. This isn't fair. I agree. Fair and centered in the Garden of Eden. But here's what I do know is according to God's word, none of this caught him by surprise. What I do know is according to God's word, what we just read in Ephesians, that God has ordered your steps and that he's predestined your future. What I do know is that the Bible says God will give his desires to your heart. What I do know is that God's made you fearfully and wonderfully made. And what I do know is that in the infinite of God's wisdom, he knew all that was going to happen, and he brought you to me. So go to bed and brush your teeth, and I'll see you in the morning. I mean, it's one of those things where God knows. And so sometimes instead of trying to push against and trying to figure out and trying to wish something might be better or different or fight with the in-laws or the outlaws, sometimes it's better just to go, man, I'm not trying to change anybody. I can barely take care of myself. I'm just simply going to trust. My last statement is that there is a reason for your funky family. And God knows what that reason is. And you may not this side of eternity, but he does. Because God has a function even in dysfunction. Don't forget that. God functions even in the midst of dysfunction. And I don't know what yours is, but in the life of Christ, his function was salvation. And what makes Jesus' story of salvation so much more powerful is not that he's just the Son of God that came to seek and save that which is lost, but that he chose to clothe himself in humanity. He who knew no sin chose to become sin for us. He that had no reason, there's no upside for Jesus to leave the glory and the splendor of heaven, comes to this earth 
makes himself in the reputation of a man and humbles himself, the Bible says, to death, even that of the cross. Why? Because he loved you and me. And that's the story of Christmas. And I think that makes the story all the better. Had Jesus been born in a palace? Had he been born with a proverbial silver spoon in his mouth? Had he been born with all the pomp and the circumstance that I would have given him? Had Mary been revered and Joseph been honored the way I think they should have been? The story doesn't play the same. As you see a young girl from a town that wasn't known for anything good. But God saw in her the mother, the woman who would raise Jesus, his one and only son. It's interesting to me that the lineage doesn't come from Mary. We give Mary a lot of credit, and she should be given credit. But, 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 but the lineage comes from Joseph, who himself had to put himself out there and his reputation out there. Because let's just be honest. If you're engaged and your fiancé comes to you and says, I've never had sex with you, and you know that to be true, you go, that, yeah? And I've never had sex with anybody else, okay? But I'm pregnant. Are you believing that? You go, yeah, but that was 2,000 years ago. Do you think they were stupid? I mean, does, it works the same, all right? We've been around for thousands of years. This is the one time in human history this happens. It took a lot of faith. What's interesting is that this lineage comes through David. Excuse me, through, through, well, through David, but through Joseph. But all to fulfill the Old Testament and the Messianic prophecy of the Old Testament. But it's in this simplicity of the carpenter and this girl from a no dead-end town that God chooses to bring his son. And if you travel outside of Jerusalem to Bethlehem today and you see the place where they say Jesus would have been born, it was the, the, the essence of a basement, a, a caved-out basement that we would have called. And then they're on their run. They're, they're, they're refugees right at year two. They're refugees because Herod is wanting to, to he imposes a genocide because he's trying to kill out and stomp them out. And so they leave and go to Egypt. You want to talk about refugee crisis? I don't know how you reconcile that politically or personally, but Jesus was that. Only for God to bring Joseph back and lead him back to Nazareth, where he would be called a Nazarene. Again, another prophecy of the Old Testament. And then Jesus would learn a trade. And we know because the rabbinical schools of that day and time that by the age of 8, 9, or 10, that young Jewish boys could be able to recite what we would call the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. They could recite the law from rote memory. Then they were, they were grouped into groupings. And the highest level of grouping, the highest level of academic achievement and prowess would have been that of, of a young son that would have followed a rabbi. But yet he doesn't go down that track. He follows his father and the father's trade, which is what they would have done if this kid was not, the young man was not up to the par, if a rabbi had not picked him and said, I want you to follow me, and a rabbi in the tradition of rabbi so-and-so, think of it the way we would denomination, a Baptist, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a Catholic. A... And from 18 to, excuse me, from 13, age 13, where he's in the temple, to age 30, we know very little about his life. 
You're 20-something trying to change the world? Jesus didn't even do that. You're trying to be 20 under 20 in, in, in the city of Milwaukee or whatever city you live in? Even Jesus didn't do that. We know nothing about those years. And then he emerges. And he goes into his public ministry. And the heavens open. John the, baptized, John the Baptist baptizes him. And the father says out loud, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's the story of Christmas. So wherever you come from today, and wherever you're going, just know these two things. It's not by accident, and God has a plan. The question isn't, does God have a plan? The question is, are you just willing to accept that? Not in a blind way, but in a way of what we call faith, exchanging that. To say, Jesus, come into my heart and come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. I surrender my all to you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you for the realness of it. I thank you for the honesty of it and the sincerity of it and the transparency. Way more transparent than I would want to be. Thank you, Jesus, that you, who knew no sin, came and you lived this life. And you were tempted and tried in every way that I am, yet without sin. And then you took our sins on and you became the sin on the cross. I pray that you would just, in this moment, speak to all of our hearts. And if we're far away from you, let us right now just simply say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, and be my Lord and be my Savior. I give you my life today. Forgive me of my sins and give me a new fresh start in you. I pray, Lord, if there's any of us that need to pray that simple prayer, that prayer what we call the prayer of salvation, that we would just simply just do that and just say, dear Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. For I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and I believe that you, Jesus, are my salvation. Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, down the cross for my sins and rose from the grave, just like the Bible says. And God, if anyone here today is in doubt of their future, I pray that this message will be confirmation that you know exactly where they are and exactly where they're going and that nothing catches you by surprise. And if anybody here is discouraged because of things and maybe in their family and in relationships that are beyond their control, I just pray, Lord, quiet their heart knowing that you work all these things out for their good. And as parents, during this time of the year, we answer questions that we don't have answers to. Give us wisdom, God. Guidance and direction. Bless our children. Keep them safe. And bless our homes and our families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.